When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we go, Marcus. It's time to drag out the imbalanced time machine and head all the way back to the early days of the British invasion for an episode about the animals. I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. This is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Sponsored by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you for almost 10 years now, since 2014. Thanks, guys, for your support here. And digging into this band, we're taking a little trip to Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Is that the place where they have the ale of Newcastle that we enjoy? I don't know what that accent is, but it sure isn't Geordie, right? That's no, it definitely isn't Geordie. That's the dialect there. Yes, it's where they've been brewing the Newcastle uh, Brown Ale since 1927. It is also where Hadrian's Bridge is across the River Tyne. Yes. And it leads to a whole discussion about Geordie's and the dialect and the bands. But these guys were the tip of the Geordie sword, if you will. Well, them and Hank Marvin from The Shadows, also known uh, for being from Newcastle. What an amazing band. Eric Burden, Hilton Valentine, Chaz Chandler, the great Alan Price, and John Steele. Forging a band it would change the way people looked at music coming from that town. This is a band that broke up when I was a wee little lad, so I only heard a few bits and pieces of their music growing up on 70s FM radio, and their songs were great always. I still remember hearing House of the Rising Sun as a kid and being blown away. so powerful and really so scary kind of and haunting to a young child in a way because it's like wow what's this guy singing about well they had tapped into the traditional and blues idea musically 
And the House of the Rising Sun from the subject contents would be kind of scary for a little guy. But it was the production and the way they interpreted music, traditional and blues music specifically, but other people's music, and that would continue to happen in the history of the animals, all produced by the one and only Mickey Most. And we'll talk a little more about him, too, as we get into it in this episode of the podcast. Yeah, I find it very fascinating how the British musicians were so close in so many ways to the African-American musicians because in America, things were segregated pretty badly at that time where they had black audiences and white audiences and a lot of black musicians didn't perform for white audiences. And when white Americans took those uh, black songs and recorded them they really made them stale and safe and gonna go tell mary about uncle john he says he had the blues but he has a lot of fun oh baby yes baby baby i'm having me some fun tonight there wasn't a lot of edge to them whereas you had these british families who would go see these musicians who found more success touring in europe in some cases Eric Burden really channeled that vibe and you can hear it in the vocals, but you can also hear it in the musicians that play alongside him because they really channel it too. And the feel is there. Which brings up the question we were discussing the other day. Were they on a mission to become the greatest blues band of the British invasion or the greatest band to cover other people's songs to make an impact in the British invasion, and your answer was? A little bit of both, I think. Yeah. I think they had to start somewhere, and starting for a lot of bands, a lot of musicians, is covering the musicians, covering the songs that you really love, songs that made you want to play music, and these arrangements that they did and put together are fantastic, so they didn't do any injustice to them, and the kids liked their versions of these songs so yes they did covers but they also did some great songs They were injecting fresh ideas into music that had been around. And even some of these songs, the Jimmy Reed stuff hadn't been around that long, but they were finding songs that made them want to party. And remember something, there's a plaque on a wall at that bar in Newcastle where they used to play all their gigs because they were a party band. And that was something that was a key element to any band that was playing live. It's why the Beatles got so good at all those songs they played in Hamburg, right? So here they are cutting their teeth there in Newcastle. And Eric Burden, he's an art kid. He's going to Newcastle College for uh, design and art. And that's where he meets John Steele, who doesn't even play drums. Uh, John becomes the drummer, but he was playing trumpet then. And this is when the connections start to come together right there in the little town of Newcastle. Enter Hilton Valentine. Now, he wasn't born there, but he ended up there and part of the party. And the sound that he brought to the animals 
while not solo driven, was as integral as any part of the music. Now, the reason I make that little disclaimer is because of Alan Price, buddy. Alan Price and his keyboard playing changed the sound of the British invasion and brought in that big Farfisa sound. That sound started to become part of it for bands like, I don't know, Zombies and, and a couple of the other bands started to have to have that sound in their sound. And then we mentioned John Steele, who was the drummer, what, three times <laughs> in, in the history of the animals? Something uh, like that. Yeah. At the beginning, right through uh, the 65, 66 period, when things start to shift, that's when Price leaves and other people start to think about their options and what they're going to do. And that's when Chaz Chandler makes a move that we've talked about countless times. The move to manage Jimi Hendrix. Well, I think he was going to get into that whole thing, the management and production side of things. He was interested in it. And through mutual friends we've talked about before, ends up seeing Hendrix performing in New York at Cafe Wa, right there in the village, as Jimmy James. And he's blown away, enough to make him cash his chips in and throw it all into the Hendrix camp. And between he and Michael Jeffrey, who would become Jimmy's manager, they figure out how to get it all together. In fact, it was Jeffrey who suggested that he go with Hendrix, as he moved forward, they figured out how to get him over to England where Chandler could do his thing, recruiting Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell into what would become the Jimi Hendrix experience. And this is all spinning off of the animals and they're kind of a split, I guess you'd say in 1965, six and the list of people who played in the animals after that mid sixties shift of membership, it's pretty long and we can get into it a little bit, but there were a few people on there that immediately made me go, what? Like the fact that Andy Summers was in the animals for a while, well before he met Sting and Stewart. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, no way. And Mick Gallagher, who joined up in the 60s, was then in the Blockheads in the 70s, played on some of the Clashes stuff. A guy that hardly anybody talks about, Mick Gallagher. The musicians that shuffled in and out of the animals during all of this time period are insanely talented. Many of them went on to have other ro prominent roles in music scenes elsewhere. And it's really, really cool to see, again, everything peripherally and how it all ties together. An example of that is a mind blower. Now we've talked about Jim Rodford for his role in the kinks, right? Yep. What I didn't know is that his cousin is Rod Argent. And that's why he was a founding member of Argent before joining the kinks. And also by the way, playing with the zombies. Wow. That's a hell of a British invasion trifecta for any player. Oh my goodness. Now, they don't have one of those fancy bar graphs with all the lines and arrows and pictures on the back telling you who everybody is, but they do have a pretty impressive organization of the eras of the animals and who was in it that is on their Wikipedia page. It's worth the look if you really are interested. And there's mainly the original, the first splinter, the second splinter, and then Eric Burden leaves himself. Uh, to go form war, right? Eric Burden in war. And he does a couple albums with them. Yeah. The irony of all that 
my friend, is while they made a bit of a noise there, what happened for war after Burden leaves is superstar status throughout the 70s, right? True. They had some big radio hits in the 70s. A list as long as both of our arms. I'm serious, man. They were all over pop and rock radio, R&B radio, all throughout the 70s, and still show up on every oldie station that's out there. What was missing from Eric Burden's war or war with Eric Burden didn't get them the status of superstardom or super hits that, like, war did without him or post Eric Burden? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You've heard of the song Spill the Wine, right? Yeah. One of the most amazing productions in its era because everything felt like what Burden was singing about. I lay there in the sun and felt it caressing my face as I fell asleep and dreamed. I dreamed I was in a Hollywood movie and that I was the star of the movie. This really blew my mind. The fact that me an overfed, long-haired, leaping gnome should be the star of a Hollywood movie. Mm. But there are and I don't know that you could produce that with just anybody or any band. It had to be Eric Burden in War. Pretty cool, too. What did they call the album? Eric Burden Declares War? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He was spreading his wings, but... Later on, he realized, you know, the solo road can be a hard road. And he ended up getting back into the animals uh, for a couple different stretches back with the band. Still performing, still out there. The great Eric Burden. What a great influence, too, because he, along with his bandmates, they weren't the greatest musicians. He wasn't the greatest singer. He just went out there and gave what he felt. And it reminded a lot of people who were technically great singers that just let it fly. You had to compete with that, that energy. Whenever they put out a new record, <laughs> Yeah, he definitely was up against some pretty heavy competition in the rock and roll and the music world at that time. There were so many great bands, singers, songwriters out there. Still held his own, and he still delivered all the time. Well, you know, we uh, kid around a little bit, but, you know, it's a serious thing being a Geordie. And Newcastle has always kind of had its own thing, not just the ale, right? And that includes a lot of bands. The Animals, of course, uh, probably one of the most famous, both because of the timing of their arrival and the impact they made around the world to create knowledge of and uh, interest in their town. But let's talk about some of the other people from Newcastle. Like Andy Taylor from Duran Duran, apparently, is from there. He's from Color Coats. I guess that's an area in the neighborhood. And did you pronounce Color Coats correctly? I don't know with the accents and all. I'm not going to try to do it, but I, if I did, I would do my whole Brian Johnson. Because if you can talk like Brian Johnson, you can do it. He is from there, and he was in a band called Jordy. Uh, who else was from there? Brian Ferry. Brian yeah, he was born in the county, I guess, but went to school in Newcastle. That's just one of those things. You go, now, wait a minute. Now, that's a journey, like so many, to get to London to meet the rest of Roxy Music and things like that. 
Dire Straits are probably the most famous uh, band from there. The Brothers, Knopfler, etc. A couple of metal bands, the Tigers of Pantang and Venom are Geordies. And Raven, and well, Raven too. That whole new wave of British heavy metal has a, a thread running all through the town. And everybody's favorite bumblebee on the planet, Sting. Right. He's a Geordie. And we mentioned Hank Marvin from The Shadows, one of the early influential rock and roll bands. His guitar, famous, happening right there in Newcastle upon Tyne. Pretty impressive list of people from there. Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys. Prefab Sprout. Oh, they're so good, too. I knew you would say that. Oh, go listen to Bonnie and Appetite, a couple of great tunes of theirs. A band from more recent time. The Wild Hearts are from there, too, and I never knew that. So, Did not know that. I say we go get us a pint of Newcastle-upon-Tyne. I say we go there and we get it straight from the tap. I'm fine with a nice Newcastle dark ale. Mm-hmm. Look, you're not going to go to Newcastle. We're going to go to Crooked Eye and have one of the <laughs> freshest, best pints on the planet right here in the Philadelphia area. And coming back, we'll talk about the music that we love so much. From the animals. You know, Arcus's summer fun winds down. You know what never stops? What? The fun and games and the great brews at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro. Always something good on the board and always something fun happening on stage, too. Yeah, Crooked Eye is very active on social media. So if you're looking for a cool place that has good beers to hang out at, Check out their Facebook page, Crooked Eye Brewery. Has a lot of activities going on, good beers, live music. It's all there. All kinds of good entertainment on stage. And, of course, the Crooked Eye Band, second Saturday of every month. Packing the house and rocking it. Right there in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good friend to be made at Crooked Eye Brewery. In that heightened presence on Facebook, you will find a lot of posts about what's just going up on the board and a lot of fresh board posts lately with all kinds of different stuff. Jeff's always trying something different back in the brew room. Go in and find out what we're talking about. It's Crooked Eye Brewery at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapro in Pennsylvania. Tell a friend. Stop on by and make a friend. Swing by and make it a Crooked Eye. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Refreshed and ready to go. It's the animals on this week's edition of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Ray and Marcus together digging into the music, the albums, which they helped to make more of a thing, by the way. They sold a lot of albums, of course, tons of singles based on the airplay both over there and over here. We've talked a number of times, buddy, on the podcast about how the U.S. and U.K. versions were different for album releases especially. Even the timing of singles releases uh, before albums became prevalent were different. So we're going to kind of stick with the U.S. releases because otherwise it's going to be a clusterfuck. Let's just say that. We talked about the beginning of the band and traditional music being a part of it. Their first single, the first song on the first album, their take on the House of the Rising Sun. What a great way to start a record, and I absolutely love this song. And again, one of the things that blew me away when we started getting ready for this record was that there were no originals on this album of theirs. Everything was a cover or written by somebody else. And that's why I had the question about whether they were trying to be the best cover band in the British Invasion. They are in the first wave, by the way, in case we didn't make that clear enough. The album being released in September of 1964. The other stuff on there that got my attention was The Girl Can't Help It. There was a movie of that title. Other people recorded that song. Bobby Troop, who most people might know more for his acting, was a pretty big songwriter back in that time period. Yeah, he also wrote the song Route 66. Right. I also really like the Ray Charles cover, Talking About You. And as a fan of Ray Charles, I think they really did it justice and added their own flavor to it.
Drawing from different sources, they also cover Chuck Berry and Fats Domino, John Lee Hooker, all on their first album. Mickey Most twiddling the knobs, gets them back in the studio and releases in early 65. The Animals on Tour, even though it was a studio album. More John Lee Hooker with their take on Boom Boom. This is also the album where the very first Eric Burden, Alan Price song appeared called I'm Crying, and it's a pretty song. Yeah. But to get there, you have to go through all of side one and most of side two. And by the way, stuck in the middle of side one is their take on a song written by Amit Erdogan, Ray Charles, The Mess Around. They got the train rolling, so they're not even going to think about slowing down, getting back in the studio, and in September of 65, releasing Animal Tracks. Now, this is the first great story in this episode about one of the songs. Everybody knows the Animal's take on We Gotta Get Out of This Place, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't realize till years later who Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil were, that they were part of the Brill Building right? That whole conglomeration of offices there uh, where everybody was writing songs all day. In fact, Barry had pretty much written this song, had gotten himself signed to a record label, and was about to embark on recording his version when the Animals and their A&R people, Mickey Most and everybody, found out about it and did the Animals version, which got out before Barry could get his solo take out. Good thing, because I think that paid for the first mansion in California, man. <laughs> now my girl you're so young and pretty and one thing i know is true if you did before your time is due i know watch my dad They also do a fantastic cover of the classic Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. And it was very much inspired by Nina Simone's version, even though there have been multiple versions of it done before. Nina seemed to have been a big inspiration to the band. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be Sometimes it seems that all I have to do is worry And then you're bound to see my other side I'm just a soul whose intentions are good 
Yeah, it was written in 64 by Benny Benjamin, Gloria Caldwell, and Saul Marcus in a really complicated story of how things got done in the Brill Building, I'd say. And there were other songs they wrote for Nina for that album. And when they were doing their next record, Mickey had heard it, I guess, and put Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood at the top of the stack in the first song on side two. Again, there's a lot of sourcing to find the songs, to put the album together. But guess what? Over the course of their first year and a half, two years as a band out there in the British Invasion, they'd put together enough great songs to do the best of the animals. And here's what I love. The first song, It's My Life, was a single that wasn't otherwise on an album. put it out there written by roger atkins and carl derrico who are from the brill building crowd you start to see a trend here and i never realized how many songs and also uh in the conversation aside from you know uh barry man and cynthia while goffin and king become part of the picture too and there's lots of great songs on there like sam cook's bring it on home to me done by the animals is different yes very different, but still very well done. If you ever change your mind about leaving, leaving me behind, oh, bring it to me, bring your sweet love in, bring it on home to me. So you've got all these stylistically different songs. You got a band on the rise, and face it, the label MGM wants to commercialize the whole thing as much as they can, thus the best of after a couple albums. And the next album, Animalization, does bring Jerry Goffin and Carole King into the mix. Their song, Don't Bring Me Down, which I never realized was a Goffin King creation. I had no idea either. It is also the album that features tracks with john Steele as well as their new drummer barry jenkins so you get both drummers on animalization and proper credit given to ma rainey on side two cc Ryder. his voice really brings it home yeah it does and they were a band that was always good about giving credits where credits do and so mad respect to them for that and it seemed like they always had one of John Lee Hooker's songs in there, too. Yeah, it really does. It seems like on every album, there's a John Lee Hooker tune. Their next album, out in November of 66, Animalism. First song, Frank Zappa. All night long. No, seriously, it's a Frank Zappa song, dude. Wow. I ain't got nobody in this world. 
Right next to songs by Sam Cooke and uh, Little Richard, they uh, lay their version of Lucille in there. Chester Burnett, Smokestack Lightning. Oh, man. E.B. King's Rock Me Baby. At this point, they're feeling the blues and really have become a promoter of the blues in the world. This band was taking it out there. You know, the message that was handed off to these guys. And they're not really trying to sugarcoat it as pop stuff. It's raw and it's real. And America was fucking ready for this band. One of the things we've been talking about is how readily they were drawn to certain bands and artists as far as the writing, right? Here's a new one for the mix for 1967's Eric Is Here album. Randy fucking Newman. I know. I saw that and I was like, wow. But he does a great cover of Mama Told Me Not to Come, which we've heard Randy Newman's version as well as Three Dog Nights version. Heard them all. Love them all. And the appearance of young songwriters Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. Their song, In the Night. Of course, they'd go on to be famously linked to the monkeys. It's all happening right there in 1967, pal. Wow. Times change, and a new album is in the works called Winds of Change. It's called the debut album by Eric Burden and the Animals because this is the first time that it's been Eric Burden and some other guys, none of which were in the original Animals, I guess. And uh, this is how it's going. But. He always seems to find the songs, or the songs find him, I guess. It's the only way I can tell you that there's a line that runs through this. And I think it's a bit of both. San Franciscan Nights is the song that drives through and lands right in the middle of everything that just happened in I thought it was interesting that the only cover on this album was Paint It Black, a Rolling Stones cover, whereas everything else was written by the whole band. Same thing happens on their next album, The Twain Shall Meet. And you talk about being timely. It's released in May of 68 in the echo of Monterey. And that's the first song. Monterey. The birds and the airplane did fly. Oh, Shankar's music made me cry. The exploded into fire and light. You, Massagela's music was black as night. The Grateful Dead blew everybody's mind. Jimmy Hendrix, baby, believe me, set the world on fire. Also on this album, one of the two best uses of bagpipes on a rock and roll song, Sky Pilot. 
an anti-war song, if ever there was one, without actually saying it. Eric Burden and the Animals out of 1968. Sky Pilot's a great tune. Absolutely beautiful. Now, I'll just say at this point in the proceedings, Marcus, that if it wasn't getting on AM radio in those days, I didn't hear it, okay? Or I didn't hear about it. I was too young. Never heard anything about 1968's album, Every One of Us. And I think that's pretty much true of the follow-up to that. 1969's Love Is. He does a cover of uh, June Carter's Ring of Fire and a cover of the traffic song Colored Rain on this, as well as the Bee Gees to love somebody. It's pretty wild. Very cool interpretations of songs. But it's not clicking, which leads to the greatest hits of Eric Burden and the Animals, that configuration with Briggs and Wider and McCulloch and Jenkins, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where Andy Summers comes in on River Deep Mountain High and to love somebody. Now, this is the point in time when everyone is already spun off into their own universes and Burden goes off to do the war thing. Years go by. And then word is Chas Chandler's putting together the band for Before We Were So Rudely Interrupted which is a great title because that's what the announcer said when he signed back on to the BBC after uh, things were rebuilt after World War II ended. Before we were so rudely interrupted, here's the news. Brilliant. And the music was pretty brilliant too. I went back and listened to some of this just to be sure I was remembering correctly. Like their take on Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Sweet! And I am always a little critical of anybody covering Jimmy Cliff, but their take on Many Rivers to Cross really stands out on this album, too. Many rivers to cross But I can't seem to find My way over Again, Marcus, time goes by. 1983, nobody's really anxiously awaiting it, but in August, they release ARC with the original animals reconfigured. Eric Burden, Hilton Valentine, Alan Price, Chaz Chandler, and John Steele. It should have could have been a bigger event than it was, but it was still pretty damn cool. Yeah, the music world was in a crazy space in 1983 with hardcore, with thrash metal, with so much happening. It's easy to see how this could have been overshadowed by some of the other stuff that was going on at that time, even though it was pretty momentous. They followed up with Greatest Hits Live, Rip It to Shreds, and 
that's pretty much it. And of course, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're in the uh, cornerstones, you know, Should in be. the foundation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you think about it, they didn't really destroy their sound or their legacy. They just didn't add a lot to it at the end, although it was fun. And a man who helped to build that foundation we're joking about is a man who helped a lot of people in music in the 60s especially. How Mickey Most, born Michael Peter Hayes, had figured out how to get all that sound, all that magic, onto four tracks, which is all he had in those days. That's part of what the magic was that made him special. Helped him to launch rock and roll to all kinds of heights. And making friends with a guy named Peter Grant didn't hurt your prospects either, right? Not at all, man. Having that guy on your side was a good thing. A very good thing. Yeah, reading up on Mickey Most, I did not realize that he was the guy who produced You Sexy Thing by Hot Chocolate, which was one of the early 45s that I got in my childhood in the 70s. Also, Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll was a big song for me in the early 80s. And finding out that he had produced the original written by Alan Merrill just like five or six years er before Joan Jett released hers and then going back and listening to it was wild because he did a great job with it too. And then Susie Quattro, wow. Lulu, Donovan, Brenda Lee even. All kinds of people. The Nashville Teens. Tobacco Road, remember that? Yeah, Johnny Hates Jazz, one of those 80s alternative bands that some of my friends listened to. But he was most famous for what he did with two and four, the animals at a Newcastle upon time. A quick quiz to the audience. We'll give you the answer. Don't worry. We're good like that. Who were Mickey Most's favorite studio musicians? His two favorites, Marcus. Ah, I know the answer to this. Oh, well, then give it to them so they don't have to Google. They are two guys that are part of one of the most powerful foursomes ever in rock and roll. Everybody in the band was insanely talented, still is insanely talented, and I'm talking about Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones. Yeah. Imagine being on that call list, like being in a wrecking crew call list over in London. Get Jimmy on the phone and get me so-and-so on drums. What's Nicky Hopkins doing today? He was in the mix, too. Man, seriously, those cats are so talented. Oh. What a great time in rock and roll history, and Mickey Most got to be part of our discussion of the Animals and all those other great bands. Yeah, at some point we should just do a full episode on Mickey Most and all of the great music he did. You know, if we ever get have little Steven on, that's who 
we should do that with because he knows more stuff about Mickey Most than Mickey himself. <laughs> Steve would little Steven would be a blast to talk with about rock and roll. You'll get no argument from me, sir. All I can tell you is the animals have been part of the soundtrack of my life, but especially in the 60s and the 70s. One of their songs was always coming on the radio, AM or FM. I'd encourage you all to go find them on your music services, borrow Mom and Dad's Best of the Animals album if you can, and have some fun because it's great music to enjoy. You want to give us your perspective on the animals or anything else in rock and roll that we discuss? The easiest way is to email us, imbalancehistory at gmail.com. Or you can find us on all the social media channels. We're pretty much everywhere. Just uh, search or Google Imbalanced History, and you're bound to find us. Sorry to say. Sorry? Why sorry? What the hell is wrong with you people? Ha <laughs> ha. Until the next time we crack the mics here in the Dark Duck Media Studios, signing off, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalance History of the Animals on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.